This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Craig Kopp, reporting the governor knows what's causing the rent crisis. The CDC basically had a moratorium so that if people did, really didn't have to pay rent. Ron DeSantis is also defending his Surgeon General for not recommending COVID vaccinations for young kids. We know you're telling yourself this is silly, but deep down you think Marco Rubio may really pull off this permanent daylight saving time thing. I know this is not the most important issue confronting America, but it's one of those issues where there's a lot of agreement. And I think a lot of people wonder why it took so long to get here. We'll share some of the U.S. Senate debate. And if you like the convenience of ATMs and the taste of pizza, this technological advance is for you. The Pizza ATM? But first, it's just not something that happens every day. A leader of a nation, Ukraine, under siege by its neighbor, Russia, appearing before members of the U.S. Congress to plead for help. But that's what Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky did, and it was pretty moving. Now I'm almost 45 years old. Today my age stopped when the heart of more than 100 children stopped beating. I see no sense in life if it cannot stop the death. Florida U.S. Senator Rick Scott criticized the Biden administration for not helping to transfer Polish planes to the Ukrainians. And Congressman Charlie Crist criticized the guy whose job Crist wants, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, saying he's the weakest governor in America on Russia. DeSantis has had a few general comments about Russia's attack on Ukraine, but mostly he's blamed the Biden administration for making Vladimir Putin think he can push people around without penalty. The governor's been making a bit of a statewide tour in this post-session week, his latest stop, Hialeah, where he promoted STEM education programs and took questions. One was about spiraling rent costs, and while the governor said the legislature did some things to help with the rent crisis, the whole problem in his mind is the Biden administration's handling of the economy and the pandemic. On the rent, I think in the budget, there was, I think, hundreds of millions of dollars for assistance for people uh, that particularly with with dislocations for COVID. And so, so that's in there. There's also, I think, fully funding for what we've what we've promised for affordable housing. Um, but if you look at what's happening, general inflation is causing all this stuff to go up. I mean, it's not like this is happening in a vacuum. You also had the CDC basically had a moratorium so that if people did really didn't have to pay rent, and I'm not saying people here weren't, I mean, some may not have been, but what's happening is now all these people that own these properties are charging more to make up for what was there. That was the Biden was warned about this. He was told that this was going to happen and they had to take it all the way to the Supreme Court uh, to be able to do. Then you also have the issue where there's a lot of demand to live in Florida. Rents are going up all across the country. But in a place like South Florida, this is kind of the center of the universe right now. We've never had a situation where so many people. When they're fed up for all the nonsense they're dealing with in other parts of the country, heck, even other parts of the world, the number one place they think to come now 
is South Florida, Miami. Um, and so there's just a lot of demand. So we've provided a lot of uh, a lot of uh, uh, support uh, for those issues. And I think that 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 will, will will probably help some. I think you do just need to be able and some of these local governments, you know, they'll talk about, hey, the price of rent is going up, but then they don't let new construction happen the way they do. You have to increase the housing stock in the state of Florida. Some of that will be, um, you know, apartments that may be more affordable. But we also need more single family homes. I mean, there's families that want to come that are feeling this pinch, too. So I think we did a lot in the budget um, that, that will go into effect. But I also think making sure that we're increasing supply, there's things that the state has been supportive of, and different communities in Florida have approached it a little bit differently. And that's your right to do it. But if you're being very restrictive on this, it's hard to then turn around and say, oh, the, the, the costs are going up. I mean, you need to be able to expand that supply so that people have the ability uh, to, to do to do it. But here's the thing. We warned about this Biden inflation last year. They came in and did this massive spending. The Fed has printed trillions and trillions of dollars. The biggest increase in the in the money supply that we've seen in, 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 in quite some time. Of course, you're going to have inflation when that happens. This was something even people like Larry Summers, who's a, who's a Democrat, was a high up in Bill Clinton's way. He said, if you pass this, it is going to cause inflation. And so that's what's happened. Um, and I don't see it ebbing um, anytime soon. I think this is likely to be something that we're going to have to contend with. So, yes, we're providing support on the housing. We did a bump one point three billion in, in tax relief to hopefully mitigate some of the some of the crunch that people are feeling. But make no mistake about it, what you need to do is reverse those policies that are causing the inflation to begin with. Why are we not producing more energy here in the United States? We have places, we have pipeline that could go. Uh, natural gas, we have more. They don't do permits for that like they used to. Anwar uh, up in Alaska, there's more oil and gas up there than in Saudi Arabia. It's a massive, massive opportunity. And basically, from the time Biden's come in, he said, no, no, no. Well, of course, that's going to cause. And it's not just fuel prices. When energy prices are going up the way they are, that permeates the entire economy. It's more important to transport it's, it's transport goods, create goods. Everything is permeated by that and it helps contribute uh, to rising prices. And so let's do what we can at the federal level to reverse some of the policies that have caused this, and let's try to give people relief uh, throughout our economy. And if they did that, it would make a really significant difference. They have not shown an inclination to do that. What I can tell you this, though, um, you refuse to do energy in the United States, and then you're going to go down hat in hand to Maduro to try to beg for oil down there? No way. We're not going to accept that. Governor DeSantis is also not going to accept any criticism of his Surgeon General Joseph Latipo's decision not to recommend COVID vaccinations for young kids. When you're in that realm, coming out for the recommendation that our Surgeon General did, that's like verboten. You will be blackballed. You'll do that. Just the reality. What he's doing is he's leading on this. And I think his view, and I agree with it, is the burden of proof is on the people that say you should get a five-year-old kid vaccinated for COVID, okay? And they have to show, carry that burden. It's not the burden for a parent to say they should prove why you shouldn't do it. And if you look at the clinical trial, for example, with the Pfizer for the 5 to 11, there was no severe COVID 
in the vaccine arm, but there was also no severe COVID in the placebo arm. So the fact of the matter is these kids are at incredibly low risk from COVID. You, you do this, it's not clear you know, necessarily. I know certainly for teenage boys, there's an increase in myocarditis cases. I think that has been absolutely done. So I think what he wanted to do was just say, hey, here's the recommendation. You're free to do what you want as a parent. But I think a lot of parents were feeling pressure to do it, even though they didn't necessarily think that was the right thing to do. And so in Florida, we're a free state. You can make those decisions just as we oppose COVID vaccine mandates. We would also, yeah, I mean, of course. But we also, if parents view the data and they want to make those decisions. But I can tell you this, throughout this whole time, Florida would do something we would lead, whether it's having beaches open, kids in school, protecting businesses, no vaccine passports, protecting people's jobs so they didn't get fired over the vax. Every time we stepped up to lead, there'd be an outcry. You'd have people say you're not following the science. And then six to 12 months later, almost everybody else would do what Florida's doing. What you're seeing right now, you're seeing vaccine passports being repealed in different parts of the world and in different parts of the United States. Of course, you should never have had that. You're not going to say your civil rights depend on your personal choice on something involving a, a, a shot. How did it ever come to that? And I can tell you this, if Florida had not led on all those issues, it would have gotten much worse in this country. Uh, we would be very restricted. You would have all, really, I think, a suffocating regime of passports and mandates and all this. But, but we held the line and we made sure that, that, that we showed the way. So I think what you'll see increasingly over the next year is you will see more and more people come out and say, you know, um, you know, probably if you have a healthy five or six year old kid, you, you probably don't need to be doing. It. Actually, if you look at how the FDA, when they debated this, most of those people that were contributing to that were saying, you know, I'm torn on this because I feel if we approve it for five to 11 year olds, it may be mandated in schools. And we think that's a bad idea. We think for high risk kids, we want to make it available. But clearly for a parent of a healthy kid and particularly many of these kids that have recovered from COVID, they were even saying that this was something there. So I think just in the next six to 12 months, you'll see more people move in his direction. Um, and I think that that's just the, the, the reality. And so because um, you, you, you have this thing where people are saying like, you're not a good parent unless you do the COVID for very young kids. And that's just not true. It really is your choice. Just understand what the data shows. I don't think you can say that the data has shown certainly a huge benefit. You know, at best, you're looking at marginal and at best, you're looking at, you know, some some maybe marginal risk that may outweigh that. But so that's just the reality. And people can make those decisions. But let's talk in, in a year and let's see who comes out and says, is it something that more people are recommending a year from now or less people are recommending for young kids? And I think it's going to be less people are going to recommend it uh, a year from now than are doing it today. So have you recovered from the twice a year shock of the time change yet? Tell you the truth. Sunrise doesn't know what's more shocking. Springing forward to daylight saving time or Marco Rubio after four tries getting the Senate to pass the Sunshine Protection Act that would make daylight saving time permanent. You can actually hear Senator Kristen Sinema's glee when the measure passed by unanimous consent. Madam President, 
I ask unanimous consent that the Rubio substitute amendment at the desk be considered and agreed to. The bill as amended be considered read a third time and passed, and that the motions to reconsider be considered made and laid upon the table. Is there objection? Without objection, so ordered. Thank you, Madam President. And uh, yes. If the House approves the bill and the president signs it, Rubio's campaign to lock the clock will be a success. Are there bigger issues at hand? You bet. But Rubio argued that more daylight all the time is a pretty big deal. There's some strong science behind it uh, that is now showing and making people aware of the harm that clock switching has. We see an increase in heart attacks and car accidents and pedestrian accidents in the week that follow the changes. Um, the benefits of daylight saving times have also been uh, accounted for in, 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 in the research. For example, reduced crime as, it's light, as there's light later in the day. We've seen decreases in child obesity, a decrease in seasonal depression that many feel during standard time. And then the practical one, and then one that I've witnessed with my own eyes. In many parts of this country, understand we're a country we desperately want our kids to be outside, to be playing, to be doing sports, not just to be sitting in front of a TV or a computer uh, terminal or playing video games all day. And it gets really tough in many parts of the country to be able to do that. Because what ends up happening is, especially for these 16 weeks a year, if you don't have a park or an outdoor facility with lights, you're, you're basically shut down around 5 p.m., in some cases as early as 4 or 4.30 p.m. And, uh, and it's not, these lights in parks and things like that are, are expensive, and then a lot of communities are resistant to them, right? Uh, it makes it tough to do. I've seen it with my own eyes. I've watched sporting events be called. Uh, youth sporting events be called in the middle or near the end of the game before it's actually concluded because there's not enough lights. So I just think that's one of the practical reasons why, if you look at the way we live in this country, you want to have the ability to spend more time in the evenings outdoors, not just to enjoy the outdoors, but to make sporting and outdoor activities available for people at a time when, frankly, we're losing an hour, an hour and a half in some parts of the country because of daylight. So I'm hoping that after today, this will go over to the House, they'll act quickly on it. I know this is not the most important issue confronting America, but it's one of those issues where there's a lot of agreement. And I think a lot of people wonder why it took so long to get here. So my hope is that after we're done here today, that the, the House will take it up, that the House will pass it, the President will sign it. I just want to lay out one caveat. This bill and the amendment does delay its implementation. And the reason why, and I asked, believe me, I asked, why are we delaying this is, um, and I think it's important we're delaying it until November of 2023, is because airlines, the rails, all, transportation methods, others have already built out schedules based on the existing schedule, on the existing timeline of this. And so... They've asked for a few months here, in addition from the industry, like broadcasters and airlines, to make that adjustment. But the good news is if we can get this passed, we don't have to keep doing this stupidity anymore. And uh, why we would enshrine this in our laws and keep it for so long is beyond me. But hopefully this is the year that this gets done. And pardon the pun, but this is an idea whose time has come. And this lock the clock movement is bipartisan. Democratic Senator Ed Markey of Massachusetts stood in favor of Rubio's bill, saying it shows Congress can still work. Senator President, I want to join with the senator from the Sunshine State, letting him know that the senator from the Bay State, the senator from the Ocean State, we share a common agenda. We, we bridge ideological divisions. Liberal Democrats from the Northeast, conservative Republicans from Florida, coming together to show that this institution can work. And why is that? Well, it's because we know that daylight savings time 
helps to turn the corners of people's mouths upwards into a smile. It's sunshine and smiles. We've only had daylight savings time so far for two days, but all across the country, people are out in the evening with the extra daylight. Little league can start. People taking their evening walks feel more safe. People can just walk down to the town square knowing that the daylight is out there. And so this is something that should be bipartisan. It should bring us all together. And, and I thank the senator from Florida uh, for his leadership uh, on this issue. Uh, and so many people are wondering, can the Congress work? And I think here is something that does have a big impact on every American life. Sunrise just wishes all Senate debate could go so smoothly. Variety magazine is reporting that a group of Disney employees are doing in-person and virtual walkouts in response to the company's handling of the Don't Say Gay Bill in Florida. From the 15th through the 21st, the walkouts are happening from 3 to 3.15 p.m., which just happens to be a 15-minute break period. Reportedly, organizers are planning for a full-scale walkout on March 22nd. Organizers are telling workers they can do as they please during this 15-minute break period, but a real walkout will not be a legally protected action. Local and national far-right and conservative speakers take the stage this weekend at Naples Patriot Fest. U.S. Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene will be there, as will rocker Ted Nugent and a bunch of other right-wing commentators like D.C. Drano. Afraid I'm not in deep enough to recognize that one. Here's some of what's happening in Florida politics today. The 11th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals will hold hearings in a series of cases, including a battle about a 2021 Florida law aimed at cracking down on protests. The law, a priority of Governor Ron DeSantis, would enhance penalties and create new crimes in protests that turn violent. The Dream Defenders, the Florida State Conference of the NAACP and other organizations alleged in a lawsuit that the measure is unconstitutionally vague, has a chilling effect on First Amendment rights and gives police too much power. Calling it vague and overbroad, Chief U.S. District Judge Mark Walker granted the plaintiff's request for a preliminary injunction against the law. The Florida Supreme Court will release weekly opinions at 11 today. The University of West Florida Board of Trustees is scheduled to meet at 9. The Florida Defense Support Task Force will meet this morning in St. John's County. The Southwest Florida Regional Planning Council will meet this morning. The Valencia College Board of Trustees will meet this morning. The Florida Transportation Commission will meet this morning at 10. The Broward Refugee Task Force will meet at 10. The Florida Farm Workers Advisory Council will meet this afternoon. And finally, anybody who's wandered into a food mart late at night, stared at the shriveling pizza slices, thought, hey, they can't be that bad, and then lived to regret that decision. Well, what are your thoughts about a pizza ATM? A company out of Cincinnati, Ohio is selling them, and Ferg Sports Bar in St. Petersburg, Florida, has installed one. The Tampa Bay Times says you pay 10 bucks, wait a few minutes, and out pops a 12-inch cheese or pepperoni pizza. These pricey machines, base price 59 grand, bake the pizza that the establishment has prepared, so this isn't the same as the above-mentioned gas station pie. The pizza ATM, and yes, that is the official name of the machine, can hold 136 pizzas and can bake 10 at a time.
That's it for today's edition of Sunrise. I'm Craig Kopp. Join us again tomorrow as we do another daily dive into Florida politics.